the family podcast sponsored by Jump. To find out more about starting a child's trust fund, visit jumpsavings.com. Hi, this is Miranda Sawyer. Welcome to the first ever edition of the Guardian's Family Podcast. We've all got a family, and whether we revel in it or rebel against it, that family shapes us. It gives us the form to our story. And this podcast will be covering those stories, those domestic dramas, be they touching, inspirational, or just bizarre. We'll be consulting experts, teasing politicians, wondering about divorce, worrying about schools, sweating about siblings, getting slightly bothered that Nan can hear us swearing even when her hearing aid's turned down. We are here to reassure you that your family is no stranger than anyone else's. Weird doesn't worry us, neither does normality. As a clever man once said about families, they tuck you up, your mum and dad. So, in this month's podcast... An exclusive interview with the Secretary of State for Children's Schools and Families, the nation's dad-in-chief, Ed Balls. What's his own family like? Why the most stressful time of day is 8.25 in the morning... We'll be hearing from parents on the front line. I need to do a little bit more work on those two. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Alexia, what are you doing on the floor? Adam, get off her. Oh, dear, that makes me sweat. (laughs) Comedian and actor Alan Davis will be telling us about bereavement and Max Bygraves in his family playlist. This is the family podcast from The Guardian. Welcome to Jay Rayner, Observer Food Critic and my guest in the pod this month. <laughs> nice to be here. It's, a very, it's a very nice pod. It I is like a what lovely pod, isn't it? Yeah. Great view. A beautiful view. And so, uh, the flowers are fa- fantastic. I thought, we thought you'd like them. Thank you. So um, you have two boys, don't you? I right? do have two boys, a 10-year-old and a 6-year-old. They like to sit on my head. It's what boys do. Yes, boys like that. They have that energy, don't they? They do. Do you think of your own family as kind of conventional? Because somebody said to me about uh, my family the other day that I live in, uh, I have a blended family, which I was slightly, uh, I don't know what I thought about it, like it was coffee or something. And what they meant was that uh, my husband was married before, and so he has two children from uh, his previous marriage. One of them's now married, um, and then there's us, who are our own kind of small unit, which we have a a son. Um, And then also, (laughs) to throw into the mix, my brother, who is gay, is also married, or has a civil partner. So... We suddenly realised... Is this a family or the, or the plot to a uh, soap opera? I know. Opera? Well, it suddenly... This is what I was told. It suddenly turned into kind of a BBC soap opera. And I thought, but this is just my family. Uh, I have to say, compared to your family, mine is <laughs> so dull, I don't have any right to be here. But uh, it's, my family seems dull to me. That's, but maybe well, that's, it, we, normal is what we live with. Yeah. And, norm, and normal is that. Normal is what we used to. Everything normalises. Uh, no, my, my wife and I have been married for 17 years. Jay, you just don't look old enough. Uh, well, she, she got her claws into me when I was 20. Ah. Uh, in fact, met me just slightly before that. She says that she doesn't think puberty are completely finished when she got, <laughs> what, got her hands on it. Um, we knocked around together for about five years and, and then got spliced in 92. So she's a bit older than me. Not that I like to, you know. Make a big point of that. <laughs> and then we have two kids. So, you know, married for 17 years, two children. So that's good. We like. We, we, uh, well, I like what I've got. Um, but I'm not claiming that it's what everybody needs. 
Over the last few weeks, family, whether conventional or not, has been the topic of conversation amongst politicians. There's been a row about the Conservative proposals about tax breaks for married couples. Is that a good idea or not? Leading the charge for Labour has been the Secretary of State for Children, Schools and Families, Ed Balls. But since he's the man in charge of the nation's families, what's his own family like? I went to his North London home to have a nose around. So here I am, I'm actually in Ed Ball's house at a ridiculously early hour in the morning, I have to say. Um, it's very nice of you to let me into your house. It may be early for you, but some of us have been up for quite a few hours <laughs> already. Um, but then we didn't go to bed so late, so... Oh, well, that's OK. Um, so, uh, Ed, you and your wife, uh, Yvette Cooper, who's Secretary of State for Work and Pensions, both work for very long hours, and you've got a high-profile jobs in the Cabinet, and you're in char- basically you two are in charge of the, f- for the country's families and work. It's all down to you two. Well, we do um, from cradle to the grave, because I, uh, I, I do children's schools and families, so that's up to 19, and then Yvette does work and pensions, so then she sees the people through to the other end. So essentially, you're our mum and dad. Um, that isn't how we think about it, to be honest. I, I, think, <laughs> I, I think that there, were, there may be some people in the country who would like to think of life in that way, but rather a lot wouldn't. Okay, well, speaking as a, a working parent, obviously sometimes it's quite hard to uh, balance your work and your life. How do you two cope? Well... I think the fact that we both do similar jobs means that we both understand that there are times when you have to do the job. But there's also times where, um, you know, if you sort of make it up a bit, then um, we can probably spot it. So if Yvette thinks I'm working when I don't need to, or vice versa, then we're both informed enough to say, don't be ridiculous, you've got to stop that now. And uh, we also are pretty disciplined about keeping Saturdays clear um, with the election coming, I'm afraid Sunday mornings tends to be quite campaign orientated. So what's a kind of typical day for you two? What time would you get up? Um, we start at seven o'clock when the news goes on, on the radio. Although, you know, probably once a week, one of the two of us will go and do morning TV. And that means you'll leave at six. Pretty much every day, one of us takes the children to school and the other um, waits and we go in together. Other than on Tuesday, we're, we're, the, we're the cabinet and then we have to go early. And um, then Yvette's mum comes and takes the kids to school. Then on Friday, we both go up to the constituencies. And then um, we have a child carer who picks up the kids from school and um, travels up on the train to Wakefield, drops the children with us at the station, one of the two of us. She gets the train right back to London again. And, uh, and then um, we're all there all the weekend. And then we come back Sunday night. We used to have a, a child carer who was, a, um, who was brilliant. Um, she was both a child carer and a nightclub bouncer in London. <laughs> and so she, um, she would come down on the train from Wakefield, get in at nine, change a gear, and then go and work all Friday night as a bouncer in London nightclubs. Unfortunately, she left us a few months ago because she got accepted to be a firefighter. So um, we've moved on from that. So what about your kids? You've got three, I understand, is that right? Yep, three children, um, Ellie, Joe and Maddie. They are... Um, 11, no, 10, 8 and uh, 5. Well done. I, was, I, was, I think it's school years nowadays, you see. So it's year 6, year 3, year 1. And what about things like the, the, the division of labour within the house? I understand that you're a, a good cook. Do you always cook? Um, well, I am now a good cook. Um, arguably, this is out of necessity. Um, everybody has their skills and their talents. And um, That's so governmental, I can't believe you said that. I have my skills and talents and mine is cooking. I know, but my tongue was firmly in my cheek because the point I was making was that were Yvette to have been a good cook, were that to have been her talent, I might not have needed to develop mine, but that wasn't her thing. So um, the way we do it is I do uh, shopping, bills, cooking, 
and um, Yvette does um, the logistics of childcare arrangements and um, generally kind of presides. What about those situations that it happens to us where you're both so busy that you actually haven't even got any light bulbs in the house and you r- realise that you're wandering around kind of in the dark? Do you ever get into that situation? Um, the thing is that, I don't know if it's the same for you, that you can, have, you can tolerate ridiculous situations for ages. We have been now without a dishwasher in this house for two months because it flooded... And then, um, and we haven't, and, and I keep thinking I'm going to get somebody to fix it, but I haven't got around to it yet. And uh, but every three weeks I run it again to see whether it doesn't <laughs> flood anymore. <laughs> and because somehow it's unblocked. I also, I also, do you know that Mr. Muscle thing which you put down drains? I put it into the dishwasher, and then ran it. But the Mr. Muscle thing works by expanding foam. So then my mother-in-law June came in, opened the dishwasher, and this absolutely enormous pile of bubbles expanded out into the kitchen but despite that it didn't unblock one of the things that we're doing in the podcast is we're running a piece that there's been some research that says that 8 25 a.m is the single most stressful point in a modern parent's life would you agree with that or have you got a different time of stress no i think that is absolutely true and um the local school have decided to um toughen up the um issue of late arrival and children who arrive late, often through no fault of their own, then have to miss their lunch break and work. So the kids have suddenly become very, very strict about leaving. And um, so that, but that final 10 minutes, a PE kit, um, have you got lunch if, if, if it's a, there's a reason they need a pat lunch that day? Have you got violin? The other problem I have, to, I have which is actually, um, I've only realised this over the last few months, but it's actually really important, that because you time yourself by what you're listening to, um, there's no point in timing yourself to iCarly because that doesn't help you at all, On um, which is what the kids sometimes watch. But we have today, the Today programme on. They, the Today programme are really disciplined about the time slots at 7.30 and at 8. 8.30, they're sort of so lax, they're loose about the way in which they do it. So, they were, so you think to yourself, the sport's coming on at 8.28, then the news at 8.30. So you can be there thinking it's all fine because the sport's on, they're about to get the news, and suddenly they'll say it's 8.38, they're going to the news, and you think, what happened to the eight minutes? It's a disaster. So for... <laughs> Four stressed modern parents. I just wish that the Today programme's discipline of 7.30 and 8 would carry on to 8.30 because many of us time ourselves off there. It'd be really, really helpful in the public interest. I just wanted to ask you a couple of questions about marriage because marriage specifically seems to be shaping up to be a, one of the key arguing points of the general election. Um, the Tories have come out and said they are committed to the idea of tax breaks for married couples. What's wrong with that? You've even said yourself, I think, that um, marriage is the best place to bring up children. So surely you should be encouraging it. Well, that was a decision we made. We're married. That's what we thought was best for um, our children, for our families. Lots of people make that decision. Most people make that decision. Um, but I don't think politicians telling people the right way to live their lives is very sensible. Uh, I think the idea that you say to uh, the woman who left an abusive relationship or the widow um, or people for whatever reason, their marriage ended, they're then cohabiting again, but they don't want to or can't get married for religious reasons, the idea that you tell them that you're second class and therefore you're not worthy of support. The other thing, when you look into the, what the Conservatives are saying, it's not even marriage they're talking about. It's a particular form of marriage. They are only going to give this tax break if you um, are a one-earner family, i.e. the wife, probably, in, in their world, stays at home full-time while the man goes to work. So if you are a two-earner family and married, you'll get no tax support. What it means is that it goes far, far more to the highest income families. I think the top 
families will get 13 times more support than bottom-income families. So it's unfair. It doesn't even go to all married families. It disadvantages people who, through no fault of their own, aren't married. It just sort of seems to me um, pretty out of date and out of touch. So Ed Ball's there. Jay, are you pro or anti tax breaks for married people? You know, the idea of trying to socially engineer the family through the tax regime seems to me fraught, absolutely fraught with danger. Um, Basically, this was... (laughs) I I don't want to get uh, ridiculous here and say this is what the Soviet Union tried to do, but any kind of socialised state has tried to socially engineer the family. And trying to get deep into the nitty-gritty of the most private parts of society is very, very difficult to do. That doesn't mean that I think they're wrong. The idea that promoting family units um, as an ideal or as a good way forward strikes me as actually the right one. The family meal can be less of a meaningful shared experience and more of a battlefield. Crispies! Incoming! At least that's how it is in my house. We have a lot of rows at the table. There is nothing more frustrating than a child turning up his nose at your carefully prepared meal unless it's a child deciding that he wants to clear the whole plate. Your plate. But it must be different at the house of Jay Rayner, observer food critic and bon eater, surely? One summer, a couple of years back, while on holiday in New York, I took my then eight-year-old son to the oyster bar in the basement of Grand Central Station. We ordered a dozen raw oysters and together scarfed the lot. I will never forget the admiring looks of the oyster shuckers, these bull-necked men with their tree-trunk forearms and scarred hands, as they watched my son slurping the slippery, briny mollusks off the shell as if it were the most natural thing in the world for an eight-year-old to be doing. My chest swelled with pride. Look at the kid I have raised, the child of a restaurant critic, and isn't he just the gastro-adventurer, fearless in the face of things that most other people his age would dismiss as just so much snot on a plate. Look at what I have done. And that's the point. Obviously, we all regard how our children behave as a reflection on ourselves. If they play up as toddlers, we fear we'll be thought of as incompetent and lax. If they underperform at school, we fear people will think we're a bit dense, our chromosomes drawn from the shallowest end of the gene pool. But there is something very particular about how our kids eat that we fear reflects badly on us as parents. Sitting around a table, eating a meal is the most fundamental of social acts. It's what glues families and friends together. And there is a worry that if the kids don't want to eat what we put on the table, well, then the glue ain't very sticky. That the family doesn't work. That you failed the child in some way, indulged their picky eating habits, and that as a result, you're sending them out into the world as less than fully formed people. Oh my God, my son won't eat bacon or chicken or jelly. People will think he's a freak and that I'm a freak. So I'm going to feed him bloody jelly until he gives in. Suddenly, in an attempt to make ourselves feel better, we have turned mealtimes into a battle zone. And then we really do risk creating a brood with eating disorders. This is not me preaching. I may be a food writer, but I've been there. Yes, I may have a child who happily eats oysters. But variously, between my kids, there are objections to potatoes, lettuce, fruit of any kind, butter, cream, certain types of white fish, and on and on. Does this make me a terrible father? Well, no, I hope not. From time to time we cook all of these things and foist them upon our children, more in hope than expectation, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But if experience has taught me anything, it's that the joy of eating widely is, like geometry in French, something that has to be learnt. 
I know a chap who deep into his 20s hated salted anchovies, capers and goat's cheese, which are, of course, some of the most intensely wonderful of all savoury foods. I know that chap rather well, actually, because he's me. It took me until I was 30 to get a taste for them, and now I can't imagine what I once didn't like. Mind you, I still hate Heinz baked beans, loathe them, and nothing you say will change my mind. I know. Tragic, isn't it? Personally, I blame the parents. In particular, mine. <laughs> I love that, I have to say, because I have big problems with my kid and food. He does eat. He eats quite a lot, but it's very particular things. It's pasta with nothing on it, fish fingers, carrots, and you can change the carrots to cucumber. You can change the fish fingers to lamb chops, maybe sausages. That's about it. Well, I suspect that if we if we track back over six-month periods, which um, in... The, the period of child raising, I actually feel like eons. It would have been something slightly <laughs> different six months ago. They do this. Um, I mean, do you I, think they do this on purpose? They do this and they do this on purpose. They're experimenting. The one thing I would say is that with kids who are really picky, uh, actually it doesn't sound like yours is at all, um, usually you will find looming over them a really picky eating parent who yeah. have their own food fetishes and have channeled a lot of food fear. Uh, or fear and now I feel terrible food. but uh, it's not you I mean uh, I'm you, saying uh, that he's not eating it's not that narrow no I suppose it's not it's just it seems very boring to me I think there's just that there's, there's a there's a there's a part of parenting that is incredibly boring isn't there that, you know just the the routine of it that over and over and I think that that comes out quite a lot in food because you come home from work you're quite tired so you just give them what they want you just give them fish fingers fish finger sandwiches or you know those kind of things and you just think after a while I think oh Nick shouldn't, shouldn't I be doing couscous and lamb moussaka and all these things, you know, which I would well, be hopeless at anyway, I suppose. I, I, you know, the last thing I want to do is preach. But it, it, I have to say one of the things is it does actually sound very balanced. Fish fingers are protein, the pastas are carbohydrate, and if you're getting carrots and cucumber on there, stop worrying. Um, <laughs> He's doing fine. Yeah, the one, the, the one thing I think we all have to do and the one thing we did was one day a week we'd try something out and if they said no, well, what's the worst that happens? Yeah. But bit by bit... Uh, I think kids see what their parents are eating and want a bit of that. Yeah. And that certainly happened with our eldest, um, who finally... Who's obviously eating, eating oysters, which is amazing. I find that... I mean, really amazing. I find oysters very difficult myself. Well, if you stand over a child and say, this is fantastic, do you want to try some? Or even better, <laughs> if you say, this is fantastic, no, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> you just watch. Do you cook with your kids? Yes, increasingly I do. Um, I certainly cook with Eddie and he, he's interested and I try to kind of give him boilerplate stuff about this is why we're doing this bit if you're yeah. starting off a stew you want to do that uh, can you you know mix this sauce around um, the younger one not so much although he does help sometimes make his cheese and marmite toasty in the morning what I kind of feel about I have to say just what I feel about that is I should be cooking with my son but if you're just heating fish fingers there's not much to do really although you could get them out of the packet well you could I tell you what you could actually have Projects which it doesn't really matter whether he wants to eat it or not. Uh, try to get him his fingers into making the topping for an apple crumble. Yeah, that's a good idea, yeah. And then whether he likes yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, whether he throws it out the kitchen or not, that's good. We like it. But then, you know, they have a, um, a steak in what they've helped you cook. Uh, Jay, stay with us. Think about that Marmite toasty. Maybe that'll sustain you. I think it will get me through. Okay. Each podcast, we'll be asking someone to give us three songs that remind them of important times in their family. And for our first ever family playlist, snappy title, her, I went round to comedian Alan Davis's house to discuss his trio of tunes and what they mean to him. 
The things that we did when I was a kid, they keep coming back to me. The games that we played, the friends that we made, keep haunting my memory. My first track is by Max Bygraves and it's called Back in My Childhood Days. And uh, it's because my dad played Max Bygraves records. He played them on this big record player in the living room, but loud enough so he could hear it in the kitchen, and then sang along to them. King George wore a monocle, we read the news chronicle, back in my childhood days. There was Gandhi and Lenin, Lady Astor and Bevan, back in my childhood days. Max Bygraves did a lot of sing-along of Max records in the early 70s, and they were mainly covers of things like Hello Dolly, you know, so it was a big 50s nostalgia, or 40s or 30s nostalgia rush for my dad. But he wrote this song called Back in My Childhood Days, which was about his childhood, uh, which included the line, we were skint, boracic lint, to coin a phrase, and that's how I managed to find out what it was called by Googling that. And do you relate to it on any other level other than that your dad sang it? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, we used to listen to it and think that was how my dad must have lived. I once saw a zeppelin up in the sky. I saw the Crystal Palace all ablaze. We joined the Boy Scouts or we grew up as louts back in my childhood days. And when you think of your um, childhood uh, and your relationship with your dad, what do you think about? Well, we had a. a my, my dad was the only parent for um, most of the time. Uh, my mum died of leukaemia when I was six, and I had an older brother, and my sister was only three when she died. So really, it was just for 10 years until he remarried when I was 16. Um, it, was, it was him and us and, and uh, Max. Do you um, have some, well, what anyone would do, I suppose, have some sympathy for your dad uh, bringing up three kids by himself, especially now you're a dad yourself? Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he had no time, really, for himself. For that whole ten years, he just had to. He, he went out to work, so we had a succession of different uh, women who, who came and waited in the kitchen for us when we came home from school, cooked our tea, and sat there till he came home. Um, some of them we got quite close to, some of them we didn't. They, they were varying lengths of time they worked for us, and then my dad would come home knackered from work in the city about seven half seven, in pretty bad mood, and then he'd eat his dinner, eat his dinner watching the, the nine o'clock news rolling his eyes and tutting about Dennis Healy and James Callaghan. And then we go to bed. We <laughs> might get ten minutes of mash if we're lucky. Oh, yeah, Alan Alda. We all loved him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. my dad loved Alan Alda. My dad loved uh, witty, cheeky people, but he didn't like them in the house. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe your job is some form of rebellion. Then. I don't know what. I don't know how I ended up doing what I do. But, yes, I certainly, I, can't, I rebelled against him constantly. Constantly, all the time, which must have been pretty tiring. I mean, it was, a, it was an effort to keep it up, but for him it must have been a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> and what about your second track? Which one would you like to pick next? Uh, my second track is uh, a Yellow Submarine uh, by The Beatles. They were rubbish, weren't they? Yeah, the Beatles were terrible. <laughs> In the town where I was born Lived a man who sailed to sea And he told us of his life I had to do a documentary, I didn't have to do a documentary, I was asked to and I did gladly a documentary about John Lennon and, uh, and I played all the Beatles albums that I could get my hands on and uh, they all sound like every other record you've heard in the last, well in my life and you realise that they 
kind of invented most music that we listen to today, it feels like anyway. But Yellow Submarine uh, was came out in the year that I was born and apparently I liked it uh, in those years before, the ones I can't remember. And I uh, salvaged it from the Paltry record collection at home. And then when I got into my teenage years I flipped it over and uh, listened to Eleanor Rigby, which was the B-side for about two years. And what about now? Which one would you play first? I play Yellow Submarine now, but we've got a baby and she might like it. <laughs> I just like the bit they go... That bit. <laughs> <laughs> Did your dad like the Beatles? No. My <laughs> <laughs> dad doesn't like anything that predates about 1957. Just stuck with Max. He <laughs> just likes that lifestyle. The only thing he's really embraced in terms of technology is colour television. He thought that was brilliant because then you could tell when you're watching the Grand Prix who was winning. <laughs> <laughs> or the snooker. Yeah, snooker would be much easier. Well, as soon as everyone got a colour telly, that was it. Everyone was watching the snooker. And uh, your final one is uh, The Jam, is that right? Yeah, The Jam. Uh, this was the B side of the first jam single I ever got. I got the jam a bit late. And this is my teenage years now. This is the last few years in the family before I went to university and got out. And I found this uh, German import of That's Entertainment, which wasn't a single in the UK, but it came from Germany. But on the B-side is a live version of Down in the Tube Station Midnight. We're going to take you down in the Tube Station at midnight. Um, and that, I associate that with sitting with my headphones on, thinking, how can I get away with murdering all of my family? You're making it sound like you had a really terrible childhood. We didn't have a terrible childhood because we were very, we were very lucky in terms, in terms of where we grew up. You know, big detached house in suburbia, big garden with our own goal net, and went to a minor public school. My dad spent a lot of money on that. That was money not well spent. And we lived near Epping Forest, and you could get the tube into London, and it was a nice life. But it was hard for us with uh, just my dad and three kids. I think everyone was pretty tired, or a lot. Yeah. And there's a gap, I imagine, that you don't even realise is there if your mum isn't there. It's like there's, some, there's a lack, but you don't know what that is. You don't, you don't realise it till um, later. You can look back, I suppose. But there's an absence there all the time. Um, after years of therapy, I was told to refer to it as the presence of absence, which is one of my favourite phrases. But yeah, she's just missing all the time. Um, but it meant that my dad spent a lot of time in the kitchen, so particularly the Max Bygrads one, I associate with him whistling the tunes to Hello Dolly and, uh, oh, I can't remember any other songs, Don't Make Me. <laughs> <laughs> just to remind you, Alan fans, he has his first book out right this very moment called My Favourite People and Me, 1978-88. to
Now, a recent poll of 2,000 mothers found that 8.25am is the most stressful time of the day as parents struggle to search out matching school shoes, nag their children to clean their teeth, pack their own bags as well as making sure that their kids have all the relevant books and sportswear within theirs and are wearing clothes without yesterday's breakfast stains on them, then get them out of the house in time for school before going straight on to work. And yes, that's exactly how it is at our house too. So what's it like on the front line? Here's a glimpse of life in Britain at 8.25am. My name's Vicky, I'm a single mother of three children. There's Matthew who's 11, Edward who's 10, Lucy who's 9. Um, and this is our fairly standard chaotic morning before they go to school where I go to my work as an NHS consultant. It's an utter chaotic nightmare. Unless I'm out of bed, exercise made up, ready and all sorted by half six in the morning... It just isn't going to happen. Three kids all trying to do their music practice because one thing I can't face doing is getting back from work and doing three sets of homework and music practice. Good, that's absolutely terrific. And just once on the on the A, starting on the G string, first finger A. So we do it all in the morning and then it inevitably means that someone's trying to get the breakfast ready while someone else can't tune their cello or whatever. And then everyone's always lost their school bags, their shoes and socks. It's just a nightmare. Well, you didn't go to school yesterday, so can you stop those guns, please? Or they will go to Oxfam. If I hear that one more time, it goes in the bin. Right, in the bin. I'm not having that noise. Well, then you do what you are to do, which is to desist from using it. Good morning. Um, my name's Julia, and I'm mum to Alexia, who's aged 10, and Adam, who's aged 6. So, um, off we go to try and get Alexia dressed. Adam, teeth first, please. I need to do a little bit more work on those no! teeth. Oh, yes, oh, yes. No, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Alexia, what are you doing on the floor? Adam, get off her. Addy, shoes! It's 8.25, we're now leaving the house and closing the door. Um, my name is Philip, I have two children, Solomon who is five and Kitty who is two. My partner Rachel has recently gone back to work and I'm now doing the school run three days a week and it's bloody hard work. <laughs> We're late, a little bit late, and we're going to attempt to get into the car as quickly as possible and get to school. Come on, don't go in the road, Kitty, wait there, please. I'll tell you what, wait here, Kitty. Both of you, just wait here by the side of the road. Kitty, get off the scooter. I'm going to have to put it in the boot. I, you're not crossing the road with that. Now wait there with Sol. Both of you, just wait there. Come on, Sol, get in quickly and put your bales on. What's the time? Turn the clock on in front of the car. Tell me the time, please. Sol, sit down, put your belt on. Thank you. If I've had a really bad morning, usually I'll have to take two paracetamol. Right, we're done. Right, everybody out of the car. We've got five minutes to get into school. I think we'll be okay. Wait there, Kitty. I feel completely stressed now. <laughs> it's like being a veteran of NAM and you're yeah. getting flashbacks from conflict. Yeah, the no- I have to say, the noise of the violin. <laughs> <That> was- <laughs> I could go 
out with anything but that descending scale <laughs> down into hell of a morning. I just don't know how, how en- she managed Never it. encourage your children to take up string instruments. No. Or, no. No good can come of that. I kind of think any instrument, really. Just, you know, just, you know, maybe, the- no, to be honest, I think no <laughs> instrument. <laughs> Really quiet guitar. Yeah. How are you in the morning then, Jay? I imagine you to be serene, you know. No, we're not serene. It's, um, we're, uh, we're awake at seven. We pile out of bed by about 7.20, having tried to wake the kids. We, we, we have a slight pause now because they're getting a bit older between having finished breakfast by about five past eight and then having to pile out at half past, 25 past eight. But those last five, ten minutes are just as stressful. There's also a point, I think, where you, if you do get things done early, you, you do that awful thing of relaxing, and then you think, oh, no, 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 we have to leave now. You lose the concentration, you know, you lose the sergeant major aspect, and then everything goes... But those last five minutes, will it happen? Will it ha- I keep expecting the whole thing to implode. <laughs> a bit like, you know, the scene of that film, The Money Pit, where the house implodes on itself and just collapses <laughs> to the ground, that one morning that's what's going to happen. There was a, a moment during uh, that, that kind of montage of clips where, you could hear this poor child going, I just want to say something. <laughs> and the- it's the powerless, powerlessness of children again. <laughs> there they are. I mean, we're thinking, we just have to do this. And the kids are thinking, why? Yeah, why, why do I have to do this again? It's, just, and every, it's so hard also, I think, in the, in the mornings. In the evenings, you don't mind them saying things. That's okay. Yes, talk away, darling. That's absolutely fine. But in the mornings, when you have to say three times, find your shoes, three times, do your teeth, then you just turn into a kind of harridan, you know. <laughs> You it's, do. You turn into a horrible, horrible person. Yeah, I'm the, lovely. Yeah. Apart from between the uh, 8.20 and 8.30 in the morning. And it is that time, I have to say, 8.25. Oh, dear. Well, never mind. Don't come round. That's all I'm saying, people. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's about it for this month's family podcast. My thanks to Ed Balls, to Alan Davis, and, of course, to the lovely Jay Rayner, who's smiling at me. Luckily. It was a pleasure to be here. <laughs> and remember, we want to hear your stories, your very own family dramas. So make sure you add your comments on the family blog at guardian.co.uk and you might end up telling your own tale on the show. And don't forget to read the fantastic family section in Saturday's Guardian. From me, Miranda Sawyer, and my producer, Sarah Peters, it's goodbye. The Family Podcast, sponsored by Jump. To find out more about starting a child's trust fund, visit jumpsavings.com.